Hi everyone, welcome to another Wealthy Podcast. Today I have Peter Escho and Dominic Neshi joining me, Wealthy Co-Founders. Uh, we have a really great guest, Dr. Cameron Murray. Um, Cameron, you're a specialist in property planning, environment, natural resource management and corruption at the University of Sydney. And you've also written a book. Welcome. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, so today we're going to start discussing a little bit of what's going on in the market. Um, we've been hearing a lot of negativity around what's going to happen in the next few months because of COVID-19. And we're really interested in your opinion regarding this doom and gloom of like, what's surrounding us. What, what's your view? Look, I, I think uh, the doom and gloom side... Uh, the case for this is not as strong as you might perceive from the amount of media coverage it gets. I think definitely once you peel back through the headlines, the the case that um, housing in Australia is, is a reasonable investment choice at the moment and that um, there's plenty of interest uh, in, in buying housing, um, I think the case is pretty strong. I'm not arguing that we won't have a downturn this year. I just think the, the headlines, the 30% down and those sort of sensationalist headlines just are implausible given the sort of underlying economic conditions. And if you look at historical patterns, there's just really no precedent for that. Cameron, I think it was one of the things that we we thought was very interesting and brought integrity to your work is that you you weren't sensationalist and you weren't one of the you know the professionals out there and I, I'm saying that with you know, inverted commas saying that there's you know the ass is going to fall out of the property market in such a tremendous way because I just like you I, I felt that yeah we may see some downturn um, which is to be expected but. You know the underlying asset. There's, there's so much caught up in that than just you know a simple number like, you know, unemployment numbers or that no one statistic can help yeah. determine the whole of the property market. And I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, and I think you're you're getting to a really key point there. Um, that a lot of people are looking at certain statistics about the property market and they're just making interpretations that aren't really valid or aren't supported by the historical patterns. So, you know, one of the classics this year is, oh, the unemployment's going to be 8 or 10% by the end of the year, perhaps. I mean, I think it's, you know, 8% is possible, but more than 10, unlikely. And people say, oh, that's going to be bad for the housing market. Yet the last time, uh, the last two times unemployment suddenly increased a few percent, we saw house prices start, you know, long uh, cyclical booms after that. So it's not obvious that, you know, you can look at this one piece of data and say, oh, that's bad. It's a bad sign for the economy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad time to buy a house. Because if you look historically, when unemployment is high, is a good time to buy a house. It's usually preceding a long, stable expansion period. So, you know, I think people are out there misinterpreting what things mean. Another example I saw recently was this um, mortgage stress index. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a measure of 
the proportion of people's income they're spending on housing and and people are getting misled by the name oh it's a stress index it must be bad it must negatively correlate with price growth but if you just look at the data and pretend it's not called a stress index it is actually positively correlated with growth it's actually you could rename the thing um an index of people's willingness to invest in housing out of their income and that's you know, a lot less exciting a lot of their income in housing pardon me <laughs> that's a less sensationalist headline or, or, or index but um, what did it's you? The same. It measures the same thing, right? How much of your income you're spending on housing? If you're spending a lot, you're in housing stress, but you've also committed to spending, investing a lot in the housing market. So, it's essentially two lenses to look at the same piece of information. And if you if you look at it through one lens and ignore the historical patterns, then you're going to be misled. Peter, can I ask what's your opinion on this? I think whenever it comes to opinions on market movements regardless of whether it's real estate property currency it's very uh, it's an asymmetrical risk to reward because if you get it right you pat yourself on the back and if you get it wrong you just disappear and nobody holds you to account it's it's very easy to come up with a prediction um, and then hide but i think if you test people's predictions and you go to those that have been accurate um, and you study that you will see that they're less sensationalist, they're more level. Um, you know, for example, the IMF, I remember when I was early on in my career and I was looking at real estate and I was trying to sift out and I read a headline, I think in 2009, that the IMF was predicting property prices to do something. You know, one of these 20, 30%, whatever it is. I went to Google and I put in IMF property prices and I went back to 2000, 2001, 2002 and to my surprise, they were predicting incorrectly for a very long period of time, but nobody holds them to account. Banks come out, bank economists come out every year and have them, and then it disappears. There's no index that shows the most accurate forecaster and the most unaccurate forecaster. And so I think people have to be very, very careful and cautious because it's not a precise science. Um, and if you have a look at it in a precise way, you will see who is right and who is wrong. Yeah, 100%. And even when at the beginning we were trying to look at other countries in a more advanced stage of COVID, it's not fair to compare because what the government is doing here with the, the entire stimulus package is completely different to other countries, right? So, Cameron, can I ask, what do you think will be the impact of the stimulus that the government has announced on the market and the property market? Yeah, well, what I've been saying recently is we've had an outsized stimulus for a very short temporary shock within a long-term sort of um, solid economic expansion. And so, you know, I, I believe Keynesianism works. If you spend money, you get economic activity. And so it's pretty it's pretty bizarre that a lot of people are discounting the effect of this. Um, you know, there's hundreds of... Um, Many thousands of households access their super, ten or twenty thousand dollars extra to spend that they're going to have. A lot of those are going uh, are going to want to use that money to leverage into the housing market because we know a lot of young people uh, are sort of uh, having trouble saving that deposit. And we can see first home ownership rates have been pretty high the last twelve to eighteen months. So I can certainly see that happening. Um, we know a lot of businesses have been really well um, sort of bailed out by the JobKeeper scheme and things like that. 
Um, so there's, there's really a lot of money sloshing around right now. And yeah, that tap's going to be turned off soon. But you've got to look also at the other side at the sellers. Who's going to be a desperate seller to make the property market crash? And we've seen the uh, stimulus response and the low interest rates and things like that sort of bail out property owners, you know, re- reduce that risk for them. Uh, I just saw on my Twitter feed before we started talking, uh, the remortgaging of, of housing uh, is, is very high. So people are taking advantage of those low interest rates, refinancing, reducing their interest costs, increasing the money they have to spend and reducing the pressure to, to sell under pressure. So, um, look, you, I think you have to take all this into account. We have a whole um, sort of macroeconomic policy system designed to stabilise the economy, and the housing market's a big part of that. So I don't think we should ignore it. 100%. And Dom, I know you agree with everything Cameron has said, but what do you want to add? <laughs> well, I, I think that Cameron's hit the nail on the head. You can't under estimate the impact of the government stimulus. You can't underestimate impact of culturally how people perceive property in this nation. Um, many people see it for what it is. It's an opportunity to get into the market. So we're seeing an increase in activity in different parts of the market. You're seeing the banks respond and not leaving buyers high and dry. They're saying there is going to be some difficulty. However, Interest is the lowest it's ever been. Let's allow people to roll over into interest-only loans at a low rate, making these properties suddenly affordable. Um, and where we do have a government that's invested in property, be it a good or a bad thing, that's probably a time a, a debate for another day. But soon as they saw that, hey, construction's going to come off by many thousands of homes. They're like, shit, that's about 10 to 13% of our economy is in construction. We need to prop it back up again. So the government's invested in the success or at least the stability and maintenance of this investment or this asset class. So that's tied in with people's inherent want to own, to buy their own place, to have, you know, their cave, if you will, their, their place of security. I think that that's the reason why you're not going to see those crazy property market drops the 30%. And and in fact, in some parts of the market, you may see a boost. I've been talking to developers and in the house and land market, they've got more sales than they've had in the past couple of years. So, it's in a spike in activity because people are going, hey, I want to get in now. Yeah. To me, there, there's... Sorry, Cameron, you go and then I'll jump in. Sure. I just wanted to, to build on that and say that we've actually had a bit of an adjustment in the housing market the last few years, since 2017. And investor buying has really been absent. Mm. And outside of Sydney and Melbourne, yields are pretty pretty good on housing. Uh, it's, it's not a bad place to park your money once uh, you've seen interest rates fall. Uh, so, we have to also be aware that, you know, the, the blue chip suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne are not a, the Australian housing market and that outside of that, um, in the newer states, in Brisbane, Adelaide, etc., cetera, um, it's going to be sort of a different environment. Uh, we've seen investors holding back. They're at record lows of, for an investor lending into, into housing. You know, my gut feeling is after record lows, you get a recovery. You usually don't keep going. Um, and we're sort of all, um, all the policies engineered to that effect. So, 
yeah, there's a bit of variation there. It's, it's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, Peter? So what I was going to say, to me, there's three simple things I look at. Um, I, there's, there's so many different factors, so many different calculations you can take, but I like to break it down. First of all, government policy, I think, makes a big difference. And when the government comes out and aggressively rolls out first home buyer grants, stamp duty concessions, federal government job uh, boost grants, now home builder, that's all stimulating the market. And so when you take ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and you can leverage that up, that adds a hundred, hundred and fifty to the median price, that's twenty odd percent. So that provides a very good floor for the market. Secondly, I think if you have a look at house prices historically, um, bank policy makes a big difference. And we saw that during the Hain Royal Commission. Banks tightened up, prices came down. Once the banks start lending again, they provide lifeblood, they provide leverage to the system, asset prices start to move. And the third thing in Australia, which makes us unique, is our stock market stinks. Because if you have a look at the top 10 stocks on the Aussie market, they're a collection of banks and resource stocks. We don't, we might have Afterpay, for example, but that's one. That's an anomaly. We don't have the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Netflix. We don't have too much excitement. So for your everyday investor, you have on one hand government giving you tax incentives to own property in terms of negative gearing. You have government splashing out cash that provides a floor to the market. You have bank policy that encourages you and is relatively loose now. And you don't have many options as to where you go and invest that 50 or 100 grand that you've saved. And to me, that those three factors are what I keep my eye on. Then obviously demand, supply, all the other things, the checklist, but they're the big three for me. A hundred percent. And Cameron, can I ask, where do you see the market going in the next 12 to 18 months and why? Sorry, Cameron, we've lost sound. One second. I'm going to... Yeah, that's all right. Just there. muted you because of some trucks in my neighborhood, but we're back. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so if I had to bet, so you're talking about um, the next 12 to 18 months. If I had to bet on, on one outcome, whether prices go up or down, I, I would bet on up, you know, a national index. Okay. Mm. That's not saying they won't go down the rest of this year. Okay. But I just can't see what factor, um, as, as we've been discussing this whole time, banks are going to want to lend again. They might be a bit cautious right now. And, um, maybe for first home buyers, their uncertain job prospects might be a bit of an issue. But there's, you know, I generally think that investors lead the market. And I think, um, yeah, if, if it's, if there's a bit of yield there and there's not, much else to do with your money and banks are willing to lend again. Um, we're going to see any fall in the next six months have um, been made up in the 12 months after that. That's my, if I had to pick one, you know, likely outcome, that's what I would pick. Okay. You guys, Dom? Yeah. I, I want to add to that as well because the last mini drop that we saw that, you know, from 2017 to, you know, mid last year we saw what 10 15% drop and typically if a drop is you know 12 months it takes 24 months on average for the market to then recover to similar levels but what we saw is the market rebound in half the time they anticipated and what that tells me is how buoyant our market is how you know willing we are to believe in that asset class and 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 there are eyes waiting to see when there is a fair value or a fair price 
and and as Cameron's saying, really investors do lead the way. As soon as you see, you know, the sophisticated investors, the commercial investors, people coming in and jumping into the market, they bring a certain amount of energy. And as soon as you you go to an auction and there's five or six people, that brings an energy. You know, mm. all you need is two or three people bidding and suddenly it's like, oh shit. I'm going to miss the boat. I'm going to miss the the opportunity here. I don't know if you guys remember, but at the end of it was the beginning of this year. It was December last year that there was an energy to the market. It was starting to rebound. People thought, "Holy crap, I'm going to miss it," you know. And I I just anticipate that with all the spending coming in, with the, int- the interest rates being so low, that it won't be that far away that we'll see similar rebounds in particular parts of the market. Hundred percent. So to me. The, the real estate market's very different to other markets because it's, I think it's not really fair to look at it in aggregate. I think there's sub markets and I think people watching this podcast want to know what it means for them. You know, what's happening in my suburb, my house, my apartment or the thing that I'm looking to buy. Hmm. So, so the, some of the stuff that Dom and I have been talking about is, between 500 to a million, there's a nice floor in the market now because you're getting given 25 grand from the federal government. 10 grand from the state government, free stamp duty. In Western Australia, I think they're doing up to 40 grand. That's a very, very good floor. Sub 750, 600. That's going to support the market. That's when we started investing. There were grants, 14, 21 grand. We got into the market. Yeah, what, five, 5% of the property value as a gift? Exactly. Thank and, you. And to someone that's trying to get into the market and has the ability to gear that up, that's, you know, that can provide up to 20% price movement. Mm. Where I think is it's going to get a little bit tricky, a million to two million, where people are owner occupied, COVID has provided a little bit of a, of a, of a shock to their business. So, you know, they've borrowed a fair bit of money. They're not earning that rental income yield. They might need to sell their house, downsize, go and rent for a couple of years. That market might, I don't know, but I think if there's vulnerability, it's in that market. The other market, the upper end ultra luxury market, I think is also going to do well because you have very, very low interest rates. A lot of investors with a lot of money have to put their money somewhere. There's only so many Bitcoins you can buy and pieces of art you can hang on your wall. Mm. And what happens when the bottom of the market is provides a floor, it filters through. Yeah. It filters up and eventually leads into the top. So with cash rates at zero right around the world, negative interest rates in some countries. I think, you know, the, the, the sub 1 million and maybe above 2.5, 3 million. And that's what guys like Simon Cohen and the guys you talk to are all saying, right, that that market is, is very, very hot. Heaps, heaps of movement at the top end of the market. That, that million-dollar price range, is, it's interesting because, you know, arguably there's a lot of discretionary spending in that part of the market. Uh, but, yeah, when it's below 750 for sure, there's not that much, you know, the, the, the median rents, like the lower end of the rent, you're going to find someone to rent your place out at a very good yield if it's, you know, between 500 and 750K. And when you've got interest rates so low, then it, it becomes a neutral or positively geared asset. Exactly. Plus the upside, you know, growth upside. Couldn't agree more. So... I know we have one more question, but we're running out of time. So instead, I'm going to change this up. I'm going to ask Cameron if you have any messages to people watching us or hearing this podcast. Uh, I, th- I think the main thing is um, that 
it's uh, Sydney is not the country. <laughs> I've just heard you guys talking about oh, you know, the seven hundred and fifty dollar houses, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar houses. I mean, once you're out of Sydney and um, in the major, out of the major centres of, of Melbourne and, and Sydney, you know, there are a lot of houses. Um, between four hundred and seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. All the new estates, yeah. um, plenty of suburbs, uh, and those, you know, they're they're getting really good yields at the moment. It's very hard to imagine a four hundred thousand dollar house falling in price thirty percent right now, with two and a half percent interest rates, almost regardless. Um, so I think I think that's something to keep in mind. Uh, Sydney is an exception. Uh, it sort of biases a lot of the discussion in, of housing, um, but think about what's going on elsewhere as well um, if you really want to understand. Because uh, as you guys have been saying, the, the housing market is not one market. Mm. Um, down at the entry level and in the suburbs, it's it's going to be different. So keep that in mind. Um, try not to panic. <laughs> House, housing markets move pretty slow, um, you know, and, and be Shop wisely if you're if you're going to enter in. Um, I don't think there's any rush right now. Um, I'm I'm in the market for a house, so so you should uh, be talking to wealthy, know, right? I obviously think it's I obviously think it's a reasonable time, but of course I'm from Brisbane, so it's a as I say that's a different kettle of fish to Sydney. No, look, and I agree with what you're saying there because we forget that there's a world outside of Sydney sometimes, and we do get out of the office and travel, but. You know, spending four or five hundred thousand dollars, and the homes that you can get for that outside of Sydney are just—they're beautiful. That you can get into some really, really nice estates. So, yes, there is a world outside yeah. of Sydney, guys. Remember that. And and it may very well be the case that with this uh, period of working from home and and changing up the way we organise businesses, that people might be willing to to ditch the city. A little bit more uh, than they used to be. I don't know if that's going to have any tangible effect, but certainly it's entered my thinking and a few people I know. I don't know about you guys, but it's it's also something that might happen that the the city centres temporarily don't become as attractive as they used to be, and the, the outer suburbs uh, become more more of a, a prospect for many buyers. Can I just say thank you for saying that because we've been I've been harping on about that for weeks now. Because I, I do feel that there is a sentiment there and having many conversations where the city center isn't, you know, all it's cracked up to be. I'm looking at your video and you're, you've got beautiful trees and grass and space and I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, to wrap up, what's your message? My message is that if you can afford to buy into a premier city like Sydney, that's, that's your most optimal outcome. Uh, but generally buy the best quality thing that you can afford. Mm. Buying an investment is very different to buying a house to live in. Your lifestyle and the quality of your life uh, are different, are non-financial elements. If you're looking to buy, buy in the premier city, buy something with a strong yield. It's not very difficult now to generate a 35 4% yield in Sydney, and I think that's a fantastic opportunity. You'll watch this video in three or four years' time, bookmark it, send yourself an email, put it down, and I guarantee that you'll reference back to this and say that was a great time to buy in Sydney. 100%. So I'm going to wrap up, say thank you, Cameron, for joining us. And for our audience out there, if you've heard 
anything that made a lot of sense to you and you enjoyed it, please share it with friends and family and hope to see you around. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Cameron. Thanks.